You, O Lord, are our Father. We are clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. From Isaiah. There's a tendency in human thinking, and even in specifically Christian thought, that only the spiritual part of us, the soul, is of any importance, while the flesh is useless, or worse, it is sinful. This is not Scripture's understanding of humanity. Our Creator took delight in fashioning man from the dust of the ground and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. Dust, or clay, was given human shape by the divine molder. The reason we can adduce for God to use matter, the clay of the earth, in making man was in view of Christ, the future man, the Word become flesh. He pre-planned that in making Adam's body, he would later take that human form for himself in Christ. One of the church fathers, Tertullian, wrote that flesh is the hinge of salvation, meaning that the materiality of human flesh was the means by which God would redeem humanity in Christ's flesh. This exalted way of looking at our human makeup as a thing of high destined dignity was often challenged in history when flesh became looked down upon as something evil. One of the great expressions of this, still with us today in some form, was Gnosticism. While it may sound pious to our ears even today to say that the flesh is wicked and the soul alone is good, and we may think this because sins of the flesh are so prevalent and troublesome to us, yet that same wrong-headed estimation of the flesh as evil has surprisingly led men to think that since the flesh is what it is, bad, then it doesn't much matter what we do with it. And thus the ironic conclusion of this error has been that we may sin all we wish in the flesh and still be good spiritual persons on the inside in the soul. In modern language, sins of the flesh don't count that much. 
being a good person is all that's important. Another corollary of this error is the hardcore scientism, which takes the body to be mere crude stuff that can be used in any utilitarian way. We can abort it, clone it, reproduce it artificially. We can sell it. Even more today, we are being led to think that gender identity doesn't matter, male or female. We can become whatever we wish to be, and we can do with our bodies whatever we want. All these monstrous errors come from the same Gnostic source. Before we get on to other things, just to set things right, let's recall the correct doctrine. Both our bodies and our souls are good parts of God's creating hand. It was original sin which injected into our makeup a conflict between the body and the soul, with the result that, in the words of St. Paul, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. The two are opposed to each other. Concupiscence is the word for this inner conflict which has led many to conclude, falsely, that the body itself must be evil. God so loved matter that he made it his own in the incarnation. And now there will forever be a union of the human body with God in the person of Christ. In a state of glory, ever since the resurrection, Christ's humanity communicates the effects of the redemption to us by means of his body and blood in the Holy Eucharist. That very human matter which he took from the Virgin Mary By means of our eating the Eucharist, his touching our bodies as food, a union is made. And we become, through communion, changed into Christ, just as our food is changed into us. Our bodies, then, are assimilated to Christ's body through the reception of Holy Communion. But unlike the other foods that we eat, this food absorbs the eater, not vice versa. The real presence of Christ in the Blessed Sacrament comes about through a change which we call transformation, rather transubstantiation so that our contact with God in communion can be direct. 
Now, in his own proper form of appearance, as visible flesh like yours and mine, Christ is only in heaven now, seated at the right hand of the Father in his risen, glorified body. There, his body is localized in one place, and it can't be present anywhere else. But by the Holy Eucharist, through transubstantiation, the change of bread and wine into his body and blood, Christ is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, where he can be spread out and multiplied in many places and become united to us in Holy Communion. This body is none other than the same he took from Mary that suffered and died on the cross, nor is it any other than the one which is now in heaven. The Eucharist is identically one risen body of Christ. It's only the manner of his presence which is different here in the Holy Eucharist. And so, Jesus is present and contained in many hosts in the same vessel in which I give communion. He is bodily present in many churches at the same time. He is fully, completely bodily present in each part of the host. If the host is broken, he is present in each part and particle. And this is why we try to take such good care in our handling of the hosts. And it's why Holy Communion in the hands is so ripe for abuse and sacrilege. Today, the church wants us to praise God for the miracle and the marvel of the Holy Eucharist. We heard a portion, the last portion, of the sequence for this Mass, the beginning of which has these words, praise, O Zion, Zion here meaning the church, praise, O Zion, the Savior, with hymns and canticles, as much as you can, as much as you dare because he is greater than all praise, nor is any praise sufficient. We can't really say enough about the awesome reality of the Holy Eucharist, but we are bid to love Christ and to adore him present in this sacrament as much as we can. This is the reason for Corpus Christi Day, an opportunity to worship him who used the material of his human flesh in a wonderful way to make it our means of being one with him. 
as much as we can, as much as we dare, let us praise the wisdom and the power of God with thanksgiving for the sublime gift of the blessed sacrament 